All right, this is my first recording for the new podcast I have lined up. My name is Christian Joel Ramos, but for the podcast name, I'm undecided, but for now, I'm just going to go by Joel, my regular name. And I'm back. Okay, so today's movie of choice, my first initial project, I'm going to do a review of Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, Spider-Man Far From Home takes up time between, let's say, I'm going to say, somewhere around the time of Infinity War and Endgame, because, all right, so let's just get started. When it comes to the continuity of the Marvel Universe, especially with the Sony projects intertwined with the Disney projects, it gets a little muddy with the details because Sony likes to put their foot in their mouth a lot, where Marvel likes to keep those closed lid on things. So Kevin Feige did not want to make any Spider-Man news or announcements until after Endgame came out. But Sony jumped ahead because they are a different studio and they got to make their money. So I get what they were trying to do to get their as much publicity and marketing out for that movie, but it was Spider-Man. It was bound to make the money it made. Which, mean, speaking of which, it just crossed over a billion dollars right now. And it's the first Spider-Man movie to ever do so. And I'm kind of mind-boggled because back in the days, I always had the Tobey Tobey Maguire movies. uh, Yeah, Tobey Maguire were um, really good. And I thought they were, you know, I mean, they made money, but I guess as far as billions, yeah, I guess it's a new thing where movies make billions. This whole time I thought it was, you know, commonplace, but it's not that many films that even crossed the billion mark. It just shows how... uh, for granted, uh, we do. We as an audience kind of take it to see movies across the billion. It's normal. It's normalized now. Where back in the days, it was a force even reach anywhere near Titanic numbers or Avatar numbers. So, back to the film. Far from Home takes place like I'd say like days after Endgame, or sometime during after Endgame, because you see a giant. Tony Stark slash Iron Man memorial sequence in the beginning of the film. The student bodies and making this little film project showing a slideshow of all Tony Stark slash Iron Man's accomplishments and what he's meant to them. And that's what we learned about the blip. Us as an audience, we're well aware of the snap. We know when it happens. We know the occurrences. But from the perspective of somebody who is earthbound and has no clue what went on, all you know is the Avengers save the world, and that's about it. The blip is continuity into the Spider-Man movie as well. And even after Endgame, I question myself. So all those people that were like snapped back into the time, do they snap back to the time they were left off? Or do they come back into 2023 where Endgame's taking place? Because in my head, I'm like, I figured they're back in the times they came from that way if it's, if it's, you know, it's like other movie tropes, like, it's like nothing ever happened. No, that is not the case. The blip is what the news is calling the situation where all the people that were snapped back, were actually snapped back into the points of existence that they were dusted from in modern times, which makes for some funny comments because uh, Aunt May apparently opens a... Uh, Shelter. Now, if anyone's familiar with the Spider-Man PS4 game, the shelter is a big part of Aunt May's like community work service where she helps 
you know, people who can't afford to live on their own in New York City, which is plenty of these days and ages with all the rent and gentrification occurring. But uh, I guess it took some of those elements from the game and put it into the film because now this hostel, I guess you could call it, or just uh, you know, homeless shelter, is for people that were put back and have no homes because if you disappeared for five, six years, you did not pay your rent or mortgage, so therefore your house or apartment has been seized by landlords and the government. So it makes for awkward moments, like one part where Anmi mentions that she was split back into her old apartment and there was a married couple there. That was pretty funny because, like, oh, so she kind of looked like a mistress, but it wasn't got back the case. But then that got me to thinking, right? What about people that were on damn flights? What about people that were on rocket ships, like astronauts? You're blood back to die because you're going to fall from the sky. You're going to fall from space. I mean, unless the Avengers or some other superheroes are there to save your butt, you're, you're a goner. So, blipping back is the exact moment where you were dusted. What if you're in a middle of a world heavyweight boxing match or UFC fight? What if you're like, do you just blip back into an empty arena? Or like, what if there's another fight occurring? Like, there's so many ways to go with this. It's like, it makes for a lot of funny in jokes where you're just constantly thinking about oh crap so you're literally put back the moment you were taken off of this earth into infinity and brought back so that was really funny and uh from what i've seen in the movie the kids are back in the same grade they were left so i guess they have to start the school year all over and it makes for awkward occurrences because now your little brother and sister is now your older brother and sister because five years have passed and they've grown up while your butts are like stuck at the same age like so it's like they had to essentially redo the whole thing for a lot of students, which kind of sucks if you're like just finished midterms. Like they announced that they just finished midterms and now they got to start the whole school year over because the teachers are like, ah, nah, you're going to have to do that whole year over. Sorry, guys. So, you know, sucks if you're a student, but it's kind of funny like to look at it, how things continue in a world where half the population was ceased to exist into infinity and had to cope with like Losing loved ones and, you know, losing friends. And now you see them and they have an age and you're, you probably have a hipster beard and in college sucking on jewels like most of these kids are these days. So that's besides the point. Uh, what I like about the movie was, if I'm giving, I don't want to just review the whole movie in one sitting. I don't want to give you the cliff note of the whole movie. That's kind of dumb. I want to give you the parts that stand out to me because those are the points that make the movie really potent the points where you know the bullet points of where and what happened and how and you kind of as an audience i mean if you're watching this i hope you, i should announce this this is a non-spoiler review i will not say anything too spoilery per se as far as plot i don't want to give away the whole narrative but i do want to give away hmm you know, it's kind of hard to talk into myself this way because I just ramble. Pretty much, I'm going to give away some stuff, but I don't want to give you the whole movie away where you don't want to see it in the theaters. Okay, so the basis of the movie is the kids are going to a Euro trip with their science teachers. Now, this is the funny thing about it is um, science teachers taking kids, or I think are juniors and seniors at this point, to Europe for a science trip. And they decide to go to Venice. And when I think Venice, I don't think science class. I think art, history class, you know, geography. I, I don't think science, really. So I don't want to say it's a plot hole, but it's kind of like a, like a cheap way of uh, 
saying we're going to have a Euro trip because we want to do a Europe-based movie. But I guess they just chose science teachers because they are, these kids are in a magnet science academy for a high school. They're not in a regular high school. So everything they do uh, has to somewhat be coherent to science. So the only science I can think of going to old museums would probably be architecture, which is a form of science. So yeah, it's engineering. Yeah, you're right. It's a science. All right. I answered my own question. But, you know, that's the thing you want to think. Like, as a viewer, you go in there, like, okay, so a bunch of science kids. You think they're going to go to some lab in, like, you know, South America, or they're going to go to. Because you could do so many things where, like, these kids are going to go to a lab and you show the Hulk, like, you know, you show Bruce Banner, like, doing a science experiment. Or they're going to Tony Stark's lab. You know, there's so many things within the Marvel realm they could choose that kind of makes more sense for these kids. But a Euro trip is like, hey, you know what? Don't th overthink it. It's just Spider Man in Europe. And these kids are over there, and at this point, we are to assume that Tom Holland's character, Peter Parker, is now crushing on MJ from the first movie. And MJ in the first movie was, like, not your typical Mary Jane character. She was more of a, I don't want to say emo, because emo is, like, specific to an era. I think when I was younger, emo was a huge thing. But now it's more like, I'd say more punk. She just sums not anti-establishment, but she just doesn't wear heavy makeup. She's dressing kind of grungy with Chuck Taylors and flannel. And she's very, like, Daria. And that's funny that I say that because in interviews, Zendaya has said that they wanted her to act like Daria from the show Daria. And I'm actually surprised she understood who that character was because I'm always here to assume that Daria was a very short-lived show that not many people knew unless you were from a certain age group. And Zendaya's, like, what, 20 two or something, so I didn't think she would know about it. But then again, there's YouTube. You can just look things up and a random and know because of YouTube. So I'm glad to use her as a basis because you went from Mary Jane being like, funny enough, Daria's sister is a very much a Mary Jane clone. You think about it. Red-headed chick was popular and very girly. And then Daria was the opposite. So I think the director or producer of the movie was like, you know what, let's flip the script because who's to say that Tom Holland's character doesn't like a chick that's a little bit edgier than your typical, like, normal cookie-cutter chick. And that's that's okay. It's cool. You know, it gives her more depth for the character. She's not just some, you know, ditzy high school girl that's just all about makeup or whatever. She's actually, like, a normal person. So I like that Zendaya plays, like, funny enough, uh, people have been trying to put me on to the show. Uh, Euphoria on HBO. I have HBO, but I haven't got around to seeing it because I have the most... Largest queue on, I have Prime, Hulu, Netflix, HBO, and I guess I have shows that I'm not able to watch it. And I have Funimation for my anime stuff. And my queue keeps growing and growing because of people uh, recommending good-ass shows. And I'm going to say say one, say one more time. People, can you stop recommending me shows? I have too many shows right now. I have shows that I'm so behind. I'm literally hundreds of episodes behind this one specific anime that I'm watching right now, and I'm just trying to play catch up with it. It's not that I want to finish it. I just want to be at a point where I'm only like a season behind, you know, and I'm talking about hundreds of episodes. Let me just binge something in my own time, and I'll get to it. But yeah, very much, I feel like, from what I've seen from trailers of Euphoria, is that Zendaya's character is very similar to the Euphoria character. But you know, obviously, P13, so they got to make it more. And, uh, or better yet, actually, they use 
maybe they used it, it was the other way around because Spider-Man Far From Home came out before that show was even prepared. So I think, I think they're trying to make Zendaya more of an edgier person in movies altogether because they want to separate her from her Disney Channel roots where she was this very, like, not that she was, like, super girly or anything or bubbly. She was just very Disney, you know? So they want to give her these edgy roles without being too out there and too, and too hard to be something she's not. But just like a, hey, you know, like, I'm a chill chick that I can down, down whatever. So back to Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, you have a situation where his best buddy and him are flying to Europe. His homie's like, yo, we got to go get some chicks in Europe and, you know, do that thing. You know, just go out there and just be wild, buck wild. And but Ned's plans kind of backfire because there's a situation in the plane. And I don't want to give the joke away the, the scene, but pretty much... Ned and Peter are split from their, where they were sitting, and I think Peter wanted to sit near MJ, and turn of events, he ends up sitting next to his professor, teacher, played by Marvin Starr. And hijinks ensue. It's a funny sequence. And then you land in a position where they go into the airport, and they're like, all right, so Ned, we'll be up to because, you know, I didn't get to sit at MJ on the flight. She ended up sitting next to my, I guess, rival here, you know, the pretty boy that's in class that every girl is, like, thirsty right now. And you have Ned uh, confessing to Peter that now that he has a girlfriend, like, there was a switcheroo situation where Zendaya's character was sitting next to her best friend and Peter was sitting next to Ned. They switched seats and ended up where Ned sat next to Zendaya's best friend. And I guess they hit it off in the plane and they found some common ground and they both ended up as a couple. Which got everyone in the audience and theater off guard. So they got some chuckles out of the audience for that one. And they landed Venice. And they go to some rat hole apartment, right? And the Rattle Apartment reminds me of this one scene in this Brittany Murphy movie with Ashton Kutcher, where um, I think it was called Just Married. I'm not really sure. It was such a long time ago. Watched this on HBO when I was a kid. Um, where their honeymoon, they were just married, and their honeymoon ended up in Venice. And in Venice, they were in this rat hole, like, dive hotel with the raw walls broke down and, like, it looked beat to crap. And the same scenario happened with Far From Home. It's like, they ended up in this broken down, under construction, underwater, I guess you can say at this point, hotel. So they landed in a hotel and they settled down to the rooms. Ned's over there just talking about how he knows how to get girls. Then it gets started. Now you've probably seen the scene in the trailer. Ned falls, Nick Fury walks in. Nick Fury comes in, talks to Spider-Man because Spider-Man has been ghosting him. Beginning of the film, you see that Parker just wants to be a regular kid, and that Happy's like, "Hey, if you get a call from Fury, you better answer it because if you don't, I have to answer it. I don't want to talk to him because I'm scared of him." <laughs> and it's funny because Spider-Man's like, "That's no big deal. I'm just ghosting until my trip's over, so I don't have to worry about being a superhero, right?" Wrong. He left his suits, both suits. He left his uh, Iron Spider suit. He left his regular suit, and. Uh, even as, well, I mean, I guess he's not wearing that ghetto suit he wore before his Civil War. But yeah, he left all his spider costumes at home because he just wanted to be a regular teenage kid on the Euro trip. I don't blame the guy. He just wanted to live, you know, Spider-Man's a friendly neighborhood superhero. He doesn't need to be global yet. But then that's the funny part 
Well, Fury's like, you're an Avenger now, so you got more responsibilities, so suck it up, Buttercup, and get your ass into that costume. He's like, now, funny thing is, is that his costume was actually mailed by Aunt, well, not mailed, it was put in his luggage by Aunt May without him knowing. And it's funny because he's like, I can't wear the Spider-Man suit in Europe while I'm on vacation. It's going to be, people are going to put two and two together. You know, he's like, why would Spider-Man be in Europe at the same time? And he's like, all right, we'll make him the suit. So they didn't really confirm the new suit yet. They kind of alluded to it, right? They were like, or he didn't agree upon to it. Peter was like, I don't want to do this mission right now. I just want to be a regular high schooler. We're going to Paris or whatever for like, you know, it's part of the road trip for the school. But uh, Fury needs him in Prague, which is the Czech Republic, for their mission. Now, in this part of the movie, it's already established that Mysterio, the main antagonist, I don't want to say villain just yet, main antagonist of the film, is almost like the superhero character, very noble. He's fighting off these elemental creatures. So far in the beginning of the movie, you see him fight off the raw creature, which is reminiscent of Sandman, but it's more like gravelly and rock-based, like a golem. And then, I guess now Mysterio's working with S.H.I.E.L.D., because S.H.I.E.L.D. needs his services to take down the other three elementals. Then, you find out his name is Glenn Black, and then he has no mask on, and you see Jake Gyllenhaal for the first time in the costume, just chilling there, and the costume looks phenomenal. I gotta say they did a great job making the costume look very realistic. They went for the simple armor look with some neon piping to make it stand out a little bit. They, you know, a lot of comic book adaptations, the costumes just don't. You can't just do a straight up adaptation of what the comic books because it's literally tight. So it'll look more like wrestling gear than it would have looked like an actual like battle ready armor. So with Mysterio's armor, it actually makes sense of how he looks because it looks like. He's wearing a heavy knight's armor, but it's all tech-based. So the designs of his, like, I guess you could say tights would be more of a chain mail. So it all looks realistic. And he's got a full-on beard, which is really strange because I don't remember Mysterio having a beard in the comic books. I remember him being a blonde guy with a ponytail. Very reminiscent of, like, any freaking teamster back in Hollywood in those, that era. You know, he's supposed to be the special effects guy. But in this scenario, he's this powerful wizard from a different, oh yeah, plot twist. He's from a different universe, a multiverse scenario, as they were saying. And that's pretty cool because it introduces the whole idea of the multiverse. And like the little Easter egg that he called his universe, Universe 616. Now, if people don't know what that means, or the heavy sweaties out there, a Universe 616 is the original universe of Marvel. They made a separate ultimate universe where I forget the number of it where you get the same Spider-Man stories but the characters and villains rogues galleries are kind of flipped like in one in the original universe Rhino is a guy in a Rhino suit but that would look ridiculous so this other universe they made it all more techy where Rhino's the armor it's like a guy in armor or like a mech suit kind of like they did with the Mark Webb Spider-Man movies where he's rocking Rhino was in the end of the movie, which is so dumb. They wasted the character for five minutes, just for five minutes in the end of the movie. That was the dumbest mistake they ever made with that Rhino character. And he was just some fat Russian guy in a mech suit that looked pretty badass, but you didn't see enough of it to actually appreciate it. So the whole multiverse thing, right there in my head it clicks. 
This is your gateway to introducing X-Men because there's no way you can introduce X-Men after so many years as, oh, now there's mutants. No, that, you can't just do that. You can't, you can't just will X-Men into existence without introducing Apocalypse, who was technically the first mutant, without Wanda and Peter being like, you know, part of the X-Men or mutant gene. It's like they would have brought that up in uh, Captain America Civil War. Or, I mean, in Winter Soldier. Oh, it was Civil War, sorry. In, um, it was it? No, it was Avengers Age of Ultron. Sorry. You know, movies mixed up. Avengers Age of Ultron when they produce uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. They both are just lab experiments. There's no, like, calling them inhumans. They didn't call them mutants. They didn't call them anything. They were just lab experiments of powers. But again, they were used to test Rags' power, whatever, to create them. So technically, they used Infinity Stones to create these super beings. So in a way, you're kind of setting up an Eternals scenario with Wanda and Peter. I say Peter because I can't pronounce the Russian name. Peter? Pietro? Oh, it is Pietro. All right, Pietro's easy. Um, so that's pretty cool. I like that right there. And um, now you have a scenario where a multiverse could really work in Marvel Disney's and work in their direction because now you can introduce Fantastic Four because this whole time they're in New York telling me there's no Baxter building. He's telling me there's no Establish Reed Richards and Sue Storm and Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm. Like, you don't have these characters somehow in there because at the time there were Fox properties and now they're Marvel slash Disney properties. So, the multiverse thing, I had like, perfect way to do it. You don't do any more time travel because Endgame worked with time travel and we've had enough of it. So then we go on the mission and you see Peter and Glenn. I'm just going to say Glenn for now because he doesn't go on Mysterio. He just goes by his regular name, um, Glenn Beck. Until Parker makes a reference that his uh, colleagues and uh, friends call him Mysterio because, you know, they gave him double of a nickname and he took that with like a little, you know, smirk. Later on, you find out that he actually likes the name Mysterio, which is pretty cool. But before that, we get to that. Um, Peter and Glenn are on a mission now to take down the fire elemental. It looks like a badass effort from Final Fantasy type of like, you know, almost like Surtur from uh, from uh, Ragnarok. I mean, in a way, you could call that kind of lazy work. You just got to downsize Surtur. But no, it looked a little different. It just gave me a lot of Surtur vibes, though. And um, the lava monster. The whole story was the elementals are here to destroy the world. They destroyed his world. And now he's in our world, and that's why he's here to stop it. So they'll destroy the whole multiverses, whatever. But during this time, Peter's trying to fit in being a regular high school kid, trying to mack it to his, the girl he likes, and you know, trying to find excuses for how to escape. And in one scene, oh, I completely skipped this whole scene. We're back to when Peter wanted a different suit so he didn't look like Spider-Man, like a stealth suit, right? They make a detour into Prague. And Peter's like, did Fury just hijack our student trip? you got to be kidding me. And that's exactly what happened. The driver for their tour bus is a guy named Dimitri. This guy named Dimitri was in S.H.I.E.L.D. base with Glenn, uh, Maria Hill, and Fury and other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And it looked like almost like a catacombs type place. Like it was like a sewer base or something. So Peter's like, you got to be kidding me. 
The driver pulls him to the side, and he goes into like a bar. And this hot, sweetest chick, I think she's like 5'9 or 5, she's pretty tall. With uh, It looks like a supermodel or something. She's like, come over here and take off her clothes. And uh, as a high school kid would high school kid would hear that. He'd be like, what, what? So he just phrases that this gorgeous looking lady asking him to get naked, but it's a change into the Spider-Man stuff suit. She actually made a stuff suit for him, so that way he doesn't look like Spider-Man. And if he ever gets caught, you know, it's he can be some other character or whatever. So now we go fast forward to the scene where Mysterio and Spider-Man are taking it on the lava elemental. At this scene, uh, hijinks ensue because they were supposed to be at an opera. But he ditched the opera to be a superhero. Little did he know that uh, MJ's best friend, who's now Ned's girlfriend, decides to exit the opera house and go to this carnival that they're having in Venice. And the carnival looks like a dope party. And if you know the thing about carnivals, I believe the actual carnival originated in Italy. So it's a big EDM festival. It's like fireworks. And it looks like the best part in the world. So these guys are like, yeah, screw this opera stuff. We're high schoolers. We don't want to see this. We want to go to a party. So they sneak out, end up in a fairground. So I think they're on a Ferris wheel. Yes, they're on a Ferris wheel. And that's when the elemental strikes and they're stuck on the damn Ferris wheel. And then Ned's like, oh, damn, there's Peter. But thank God he's wearing a different color suit. And But his girlfriend's like, no, that's Spider-Man. Like, no, it's not Spider-Man. It's a European knockoff. Gives him some fake-ass name like Night Monkey because that's all I could think of at this point where he's distressed. So his girlfriend starts screaming for Night Monkey to help him. And that's just everyone in the audience just giggles to this. And, you know, Peter's in a weird uh, position like, do I help my friend right now, or do I help Mysterio on this freaking elemental which is going to destroy the world? So he's like, oh damn, I got to help him out. So they do that, and they go back to the hotel after the whole scenario happens, and Peter catches up with um, MJ, and I guess it's the last day of the trip. Parents are worried. They want the kids to go back to the States after seeing all these monster attacks happening in Europe where the kids are around. They don't think they're safe. So you have a scenario where Peter's like, damn, the whole point of this trip was for me to go to Paris, which they couldn't go to because they ended up in Prague, to give MJ this necklace to confess that I like her and become my girlfriend or whatever. So he's like, I gotta do this now or never. So he takes her out on a little mini date for the last night in the in Europe. And they have a chat, and then before Peter can admit that he likes her, she finds out he's Spider-Man. He kind of plays it off like she doesn't know, but he's like, no, I know you're Spider-Man. It makes perfect sense why you're not there when he's there. You know, she's not dumb. She's putting two together. And the funny part is, is that uh, Peter's kind of bummed out. Like, damn, this girl really doesn't like me. She just wanted to hang out with a superhero. But she was into him. She was just playing it off like, oh yeah, that was the reason. Because she didn't want to confess because she liked him first. And he, she drops a piece of one of the hologram machines. You find out that the Mysterio isn't her Mysterio, but a fraud using what seems to be drones to do his dirty work so that his holographic attacks are real. Now, before this whole setup happens, Peter is at a bar, 
because he just finished the fight against the fire elemental with Basirio and in the bar they had a you know heart to heart and he's like I just want to be a kid right now I don't want to be a superhero and in the beginning of the movie Peter was actually given these glasses that uh, Tony uses I think he used them once in Civil War but these are like a newer edition these glasses are uh, not Iron Man armored but more like a, a very powerful Siri <laughs> for better lack of terms so you have Spider-Man using what technically is Star Tech, like the most powerful Star Tech. He used in a previous scene because in the scene where he was at a bar trying on the new suit, one of his colleagues caught him and took a picture of him and was gonna blackmail him because he wants to get some, he wants to get MJ and he wants Peter not to get MJ. So Peter was just like desperate, like, oh, we gotta take this kid out, you know. And that's exactly what the, well, yeah, Edith is the name of the glasses. It's short for, even when dead, I'm the hero. I'm like, freaking Iron Man. Even in your death touch, Stark's still a freaking douche. So, he has control of this weapon system in space. And when I'm saying, this is probably the most powerful weapon in all of like Earth right now. He asks for help from Edith to take down the picture from this guy's phone. Little does he know, he sends a drone attack to the school bus. So now he has to defend the school bus from an imminent attack because of him fubbing up and while still not revealing the Spider-Man. And that's one one scene that was pretty funny. He somehow pulled it off. And um, when you go back to the scene where Peter and Glenn are taking out the Marvel monster, you can see one of the drones actually that's what the guy was using he was using, he was using Stark Tech in the bar it's revealed that after Peter's heart of heart with Mysterio that actually this whole time he is a fraud he's not really a hero but he was just a former Stark employee who had a master plan to get Edith off of Peter and Peter was dumb enough to give him Edith which I thought was just kind of like you just met this guy one day yes he's a great he seems like a great hero seems like a great you know a successor to Iron Man, but like Tony gave you the glasses for a reason. But he's like, no, he gave me the glasses to choose the next guy. Like, no, he's a dumb high school kid. He wants to be a high schooler. He was just trying to pass off his responsibilities to somebody more responsible who can do the hero stuff without him, you know, interfering with his life. And once you find out Mysterio is Mysterio, he gives this whole speech with a whole crew. Like Mysterio is not just one guy; it's an organization of former Stark employees who just were fed up and seeking revenge on Tony Stark, which I think is a pretty continuous theme in these new Spider-Man movies. They keep making Spider-Man seem like Iron Man Jr. In the first movie, it was Vulture who was taken down because of Stark, and in this movie, it's Mysterio. I mean, granted, there's continuity there that there are people that hate Stark, but I hope for the third movie they don't go this route again. I don't want another former Stark employee to be part of the Sinister Six that they're going to do for this whole uh, Spider-Man trilogy. I kind of want it to be something other than that. But if you're going to wrap it up, at least it's the last movie in this trilogy. Because what their Sony slash Marvel plan is, is to make three movies of Spider-Man in high school, three movies of Spider-Man in college, and three movies of Spider-Man as an adult. So I'm assuming that this is all part of their master plan. And uh, you have essentially a... Where was I going with this? This is what happens when I go off on a tangent. I forget what the hell I was saying. 
All right, so back to Mysterio. Mysterio is actually a douchebag, just like Tony Stark, just a less, less successful one. And they kind of show like flashbacks to certain scenes. And, uh, I think it was uh, Civil War where, uh, where Stark is showing the tech to a, I guess it's MIT or like Caltech, one of those schools. And um, it's a hologram thing. So that's where the hologram technology came from. Glenn Beck used to work for Peter, uh, Peter Parker. No, he used to work for Iron Man and that he's seeking revenge on him because he got fired because his ego got too big. And now that the plot's revealed that Mysterio is who he is, we have a scenario where Zendaya's going to help out, take down Mysterio with Spider-Man as well. So she's like on Team Spider-Man now. Then Ned finds out well, all right, this is funny. They go back to the hotel. He's changing to a Spider-Man suit, an awkward high school thing, you know, where she turns around. She doesn't want to see him naked yet, but she's kind of curious. And then Ned walks in. He's like, hey, I see you're getting ready for the costume party. I try to play it off. Now she knows. And she's like, no, nope, I, I already knew this whole time. So they go off to fight Glenn. And in fighting Glenn, it's the toughest scene ever. You thought he had a nice little drone strike with the previous elemental now that he has a hold of Eden, the glasses the freaking like A-bomb essentially he's got hundreds maybe even thousands of drones under his belt so he can make bigger illusions and more collateral damage so it looks more Avengers level threat level and he can come in and save the day so he can get knighted by the queen yes he's doing all this to get fame and fortune and become this big hero so that he can get all his praises and uh it's not your typical villain plot. You'd think the whole plot was to get revenge and destroy Stark's legacy, but it's really just to become Stark. He really wants to become something bigger than what he is. Which is alright. It's it's normal for any guy who wants to you know, everybody wants power, I guess. And in a world where aliens and gods and you know, the not god, but like gods, like these mythological gods are real and aliens are real. It's kind of hard to stand out as a human being in the world. So if you really want to make a name for yourself, you got to go big or go home. So throughout the whole movie, Spider-Man is fighting Mysterio. He's getting his ass handed by Mysterio's illusions. And at one point, the illusions strike back, almost like uh, Scarecrow in the Dark Knight games, like it's just uh, in the Arkham games. It's just like the illusions seem so realistic to distract them. And at one point, he gets hit by a bullet train and gets knocked the F out and ends up on the train, knocking out, and wakes up in Denmark. No, no, Amsterdam. Wakes up in Amsterdam, in uh, Holland, yes, Amsterdam's in Holland. He wakes, no, he wakes up in Holland in, uh, in a random jail cell with the nicest inmates you've ever seen in your life. It's the funniest thing ever. Kind of like setting a stereotype that uh, the Dutch are very nice, which is not a bad stereotype. It's just awkwardly funny for some reason. And uh, he gets a, Nice gentleman in the marketplace. He escapes out of prison. Because he's a Spider-Man. He doesn't escape out of anything. Gives him the cell phone so he can call Happy. Happy lands in this beautiful flower field. And even a guy next to me in the theater was like, man, of all the places that I have a private jet, why a field of flowers? You're going to ruin all the flowers. And I agreed. I'm like, yeah, these flowers are very nice. Like, the layouts are pretty, you know. And they land, he lands the plane, the jet there. And then Parker goes in. Starts blubbering and crying, feeling bad for himself. Oh, I'm beat to crap. There's no way I can defeat Mysterio. And then Happy's like, do you know who you are? Come on. Get your, pick yourself up and try again. 
Then there's a cute little sequence where Spider-Man is doing the Iron Man holographic, you know, what do you call that? Blueprinting of various new costumes because, of course, uh, Iron Man happens to have a freaking costume assembly machine, in the back, a 3D printer, I guess, in the back of his uh, jet, just like, chilling there. So he creates a new suit and Happy, like, kind of chokes up, like, this is, like, this is what Tony was doing this for, like, he saw him as the next, not the next Iron Man, but the next big hero to really take the reins of, intellectually, like, somebody like Tony, so it was great to see that Parker is finally coming to himself and realizing, I'm not going to be the next Spider-Man. That was the whole problem, the whole movie with him, is that he was, like, confidence of trying to be living in Tony Stark's shadow, when he really should just be himself, and that's what he finally realizes, that I'm not the next Spider-Man, I'm the first I mean, I'm the next Iron Man. I'm the first Spider-Man. So I think it's pretty cool that he finally gets his shit together and, you know, gets a new suit with the classic black and red from the Amazing Spider-Man comic. And I'm loving the color scheme. At first, I was at first to it because I really liked the blue one from the first movie, but the black and red just, like, looks pretty dope. It just the piping on the suit itself, the, the lightweight armor. Like, you know, he's still got the webbing on the side for gliding and but anyways he makes a new suit him and Happy are going to Europe I guess they're in London now because to get the kids to go back home they have to take a stop in London with a free tour of course and hijinks ensue where these elementals morph together and even one of the teachers makes a joke about oh my god they're getting forming together like Power Rangers and everyone in the audience is dying at this point and the, his other teacher, the nerdy one, is like, no, more like Voltron. <laughs> so all the elementals become like this one giant elemental that's fly, uh, fire, rock, water, and lightning, right? And, you know, Parker's got to infiltrate because he's not fighting elementals. He's fighting a drone strike, essentially. So he's got to heighten his senses and sneak in. And he does. And then, you know, looks pretty cool from the inside out as well because he's like pretty much balancing and jumping around acrobatically on booby traps they're gonna like burst on him so he goes in finds Mysterio and Mysterio goes out with one last illusion and this last illusion is a pretty big one and then Peter finally uses oh throughout the whole movie there was a joke of the spider sense in this film it was not referred to as the spider sense it was quite nicely dubbed by Aunt May herself the Peter Tinkle and the whole movie the Peter Tinkle was a running joke until the very last part of the movie, he's like, oh, wait, I can use my Peter Tingle to dodge these, these illusions because I can't use my regular sight because I don't know what's real or not. I got to rely on my sixth sense, my instincts. And Spider-Man goes all daredevil on, on Mysterio, just closes his eyes, and feels his way through, and finally decks him and takes him out. Then Mysterio, I guess, fakes his death or whatever, and then... You can hear the click of a gun. And before he can pop the gun off in the back of Peter's head, bam, he grabs him and stops him. Decks him again. I think the bullet actually hits Mysterio or ricochets, whatever. Somehow. And then he is confirmed dead. And then Peter takes his eat of glasses and confirms with, like, with a scan that, in fact, he is dead. So, you know, they get their stuff together. They go back to the, the classmates. Uh... MJ has a morning star that she got from a museum because her, Happy, and a few, I think it was Flash Thompson, 
Ned and Ned's girlfriend were, uh, were all targeted by the drones, and they were stuck in a vault. I think it's the, the royal, the royal, um, royal jewels. Like they were actually literally stuck in the royal jewels. So they were all there, like getting trying to fend off against these drones. They're like lasering through the heavy, you know, vault doors to get to them. And then, you know, after Mysterio's defeated, all the drones just stop attacking. Because Peter reactivates his glasses, you know. It's now they're under my control. And, you know, Sandea walks out with the Morningstar like it's not a big deal. Like, oh, hey, too. And, you know, they finally have their confirmation, their boyfriend-girlfriend, and kiss. Nice little awkward cute kiss. Then the plot thickens. They're back in New York City. It looks like Manhattan. Spider-Man's finally swinging through Midtown. About damn time. We waited long enough for this to happen. And he takes Zendaya on a joyride, swinging around. And it's a funny scene. And then when that's over with, Wap pops up in, like, the giant Times Square LED light CV uh, screens. Ben freaking J. Jonah Jameson, the original actor that played J. Jonah Jameson in the original movies. And now he looks like himself. He's not no more toupee and like, or with a you know Chaplin mustache. Now he just looks like how he looks like in regular day, bald and regular mustache. And he's rambling about how Spider-Man killed Mysterio. And there's an edited video clip that one of his buddies created, looking like it was an attack on Mysterio because Mysterio right now is a hero, according to the, you know people who've seen him on TV. He's not this villain, but now they're making off Spider-Man to be a killer. But then a glitch happens, and you see Mysterio confirm that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Biggest twist you didn't see coming. And he's like, holy shit. And before he can say shit, he just, it just, you know, fades to black. And it's funny because, like, this is the first time we've seen Spider-Man ousted as Spider-Man. Like, we, Peter Parker has always been living a double life all through his college years and even his early adulthood before the Civil War comics where he actually admits he's Spider-Man to the world. So we've never seen a almost graduate from high school outed Peter Parker. Like now, they're out to get him. And what I mean then, I mean, in the first Far From Home movie, you had Vulture, Scorpion, and in this movie, you have Mysterio. That's three. I think Shocker as well is four. So you almost got the Sinister Six, Sinister Six set up right there. And with Spider-Man's identity out there, they're going to go to attack him. They're going to definitely get, get him. And there was rumors about a character named Jackal that was one of his professors or teachers from his high school. But she wasn't really established. It was just a quick scene at the beginning of the movie. It's not like they actually showed her like having any malintentions or building her character. Maybe they're saving that for the next one. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see because of the MCU works. They... They just had the Hall H panel with Marvel and uh, Disney. Sony wasn't there to announce the next Spider-Man movie. They're still trying to make money off this one, so they're not going to make any announcements this year. If anything, by next year, we'll finally figure out what the next Spider-Man movie is going to be called, when it's going to be set, and when it comes out. So right now, it's just fan speculation of where this whole series is going. We've never seen Peter Parker, you know, like Iron Man, he's out for being Peter. Tony Stark is out for being Iron Man. Like we, that was something that got people off guard in the first Iron Man movie. So they did the same thing with this one. So you know, it's going to be pretty chill to see how. It's going to be wild to see actually how this shit pans out because I do want to see if the Sinister Six are just going to build up in the beginning of the third movie or 
if maybe he's able to get help to cover this up in a way. But I like how they left it with like with a nice cliffhanger, so that way it leaves you begging for more. So for the main reason I'm making this video, this is my first of many podcasts. Many people have requested for me to do a movie podcast. Now, I'm not the best speaker. This is my first time like really talking on a mic like this. I might be some nervous nervousness in my tone of voice because I am no radio disc jockey. I'm no one that is considered an expert. I don't know how to part Put my voice out there like this to sound professional radio. I'm just, you know, a guy riffing on a damn podcast. But if I'm going to give Spider-Man Far From Home a rating, I'm going to give it a solid four out of five stars. I thought it did a great job with plot twist, character building, pacing. It was fun. And the plot was easy enough for anyone to follow. And also, there's a lot of good humor in this. You know, especially having John Favreau come back to reprise his role as Happy. Definitely, you know he definitely was in the writer's room pitching jokes. So I can't wait to see where the third Spider-Man goes. I'm hoping to see the introduction of a Kraven to Hunter because that would be awesome that the Sinister Four for now hire Kraven to take down Peter Parker. And he's Kraven in the recent comic books has been dubbed this like bount like a dog the bounty hunter type, you know, celebrity who has a reality show where he just you know hunts down the biggest game and right now I guess Spider-Man would be the biggest game for him to deal with but who knows I mean there's been no confirmation there's rumors of Craven maybe appearing in the next Black Panther movie which would also make sense you know Craven being this wild game hunter trying to like take down the biggest prizes I think he would want to infiltrate a nation that's just announced they existed as a rich nation because for years they were in disguise that there were a third world country nobody went to. But we'll have to wait and see. So this is uh, this is Joel's review of Spider-Man Far From Home. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope I didn't ramble too much and get people too lost on, it, on my thoughts. Because I when I think out loud, I just ramble my ass off. So I'm trying my best not to ramble as much and be more forward with what my thoughts are. But this is me solo, no sidekick. So as a first attempt, I hope I did good. And this is me signing off. Deuces. Have a great day. And thanks for rocking.